0: If you're good at something and you're passionate about it, and particularly if you can get your head around the lifestyle and the hours, you you can do quite well. But at that stage, going into real estate for me represented a step backwards financially because not only was I facing quite a a little while of, of limited income,
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with buyer's advocate Kate Bakos. We'll hear about her journey from purchasing her first property at the age of 21 to growing a sizeable portfolio, how she made the transition from being a qualified chemist to property And how a profit of $100,000 on a property she sold was one of her worst investing moments. Being an exciting talent in the property industry with a wealth of knowledge and lots to share, Bakos is very passionate about her career.
0: Well my full name is Catherine Bacos but I I go by Kate Bacos and my business is Kate Bacos Property. Um, I'm an advocate and I work in Melbourne, my license is Victorian and I love to chat all things property down here.
1: With the role of a buys advocate or known as a buys agent, Bacos helps people look for their next property purchase. Her job is to essentially help guide them through that maze.
0: And that includes negotiating a property or bidding for them at auction. It also includes assistance in, in the searching and the shortlisting. So there's a lot that it entails but it's basically being a guiding hand for a buyer who's out there trying to do it for themselves feeling like they could do with a bit of help.
1: Although, Bakos works with lenders, home finders and investors when looking for a property, her normal breakdown is dealing with investors 80% of the time.
0: And the reason for that is is really based on my appetite for working with investors. They're my favorite kind of buyers because there's a lot of science involved and um, it relies on my property knowledge and my ability to to guide them on an outcome that's numbers-driven as opposed to emotion-driven. So at this stage, we we are assisting a lot of Melbourne buyers who are, are having a hard time in this tough market finding their own home, but the greater proportion of our clients at the moment are still
1: investors. When dealing with an unpredictable market, it's no surprise that Bacosta's day today is just as unpredictable. There is a lot of variety in her days running her buyer's agency but the one thing she doesn't have is a plan that goes to schedule.
0: You can have the, the best laid plans but a phone call from a solicitor with a, a quirky um, contract or a buyer who changes their mind or, or needs to talk about an emotional issue or um changing plans when a, a property is meant to go to auction and, and somebody else has triggered a sale. They're all the types of things that can throw our day into um, absolute haywire. So we're often um, talking to buyers about what we're shortlisting or what we're recommending they do, but it's always those immediate things that need to be actioned straight away that um, to change the day completely. So... Most of my day um, involves communicating with clients, assessing properties, talking to agents and working out what sort of competitive interest is on any property and all of those activities can take place from the office. And Then to a lesser degree, um, my day might be made up of new inspections or or actually negotiating um, a property transaction. About two-thirds of my day is usually behind a computer screen and on the phone because a lot of research goes into um, a property before the transaction starts to to occur.
1: Wow. Your day is very, very jam-packed. Each day sounds very different and there are always lots of new properties to look at
0: very true. We get, sometimes we get to 4 o'clock and we haven't eaten and we haven't even thought about food and it's just because the day has flown and we've had you know a few balls in the air and a phone that's been ringing hot so you just never know what to expect in our world.
1: With an investment journey coming first, Bacos did not realize what a true calling was at that stage. However, she knew that she wanted to look at property as an asset and get in early. This is exactly what she did.
0: I negotiated my first purchase at 21 and I didn't have uh, a family behind me that were encouraging me to do so. In fact, my dad was encouraging me to focus on my studies and not worry about property yet mm. and he was also focusing on keeping the purchase price low and paying down the debt as soon as possible. So but that kind of advice is not great advice for someone who is starting a professional career and has aspirations of building wealth. It's just way too conservative. But I certainly did get excited about investment when I was able to chat to a knowledgeable mortgage broker who talked about leverage and using equity and all of the creative lending structures that can can make um, multi-property investment a possibility for someone who's not necessarily on a huge salary.
1: Growing up in the coastal town of Sorrento on the Mornington Peninsula, Bekos realized that although it was a gorgeous place to live, it was not necessarily somewhere she would want to raise her children.
0: It's a bit of a holiday hotspot and the schools are a long way away and and the city is quite a distance. So for me, um, I couldn't wait to get out of the peninsula and and move to the city and I was able to do that when when I started uni and I haven't looked back.
1: So you grew up in Sorrento and then moved up to Melbourne City?
0: Yeah, I did. I went to Monash in Clayton, which is not exactly the city, but when you come from Sorrento, everything is the city. So um, it was you know, a great place to, to have some formative city years, and I shared a flat with my brother when we were both studying, and and then um, found myself living on the, the south-east side of town for quite a while, and it's only recently I've moved west, but Melbourne is a really exciting city for anyone who's... Um, who's into a, a really fun, multicultural, dynamic kind of city.
1: Having parents who disapproved of her interest in property from the beginning of her journey, Pekos found her inspiration elsewhere.
0: When I was growing up in Sorrento, it, was a, it wasn't a—it was always a holiday hotspot that was well known. Portsea was a you know, paradise for the rich and famous, which is neighbouring Sorrento, but Sorrento wasn't anything like Portsea at the time. And in that... In those years when I was a teenager and, and getting towards 20, it, I was seeing a lot of house sales that were surprising everyone. So Sorinto went through an enormous um, growth spurt in the in the 90s um, and in the late 80s, and it was interesting to watch. And that probably sparked my interest. I attended auctions and started, you know guesstimating what houses would go for and I was surprisingly close to the pin when I paid attention. Um, We also had a family friend who was down in Sorrento and was running a boutique real estate agency and he was always happy to talk about his craft. So I guess that's where it started and I I knew full well that the growth that the area was experiencing, would even just um, sitting back and holding a property for, for a decade, would just about set you up. So I already had the idea firmly in my mind that I wanted to get into property pretty quickly.
1: After completing a degree with honours in chemistry in nineteen ninety six, she became a qualified chemist. It was years later that she realized she needed to make a change.
0: I'd worked a part time job in Coles Dally um, during my university years and I was working night shift so the money was pretty good and my my savings balance was great. I was able to go into property Um, and get a loan as a student who had um, permanent part-time work and at the time, I I felt that I was being as aggressive as I possibly could but it certainly paid off.
1: Bacos had a specific goal in mind when going to property. She knew that she needed to accumulate enough property to generate passive income for an early retirement which would give her freedom.
0: I worked out that I probably needed to target somewhere around 10 properties and I, I say that very loosely because a lot of people have a, a set target in their head and it shouldn't be about a specific number, it should be about an outcome. But I needed to find a at cash flow properties and accumulated enough I could pay them down and an industrial chemist salary is not an amazing salary so I had to be quite mindful of the cash flow implication there because my borrowing capacity wasn't huge. But once I So um, started acquiring properties and off chatting to people at work about it. I knew that I needed to be closer to that. I actually had enough passion and, and probably skill at that stage to, to venture into property and the obvious pathway for me was to go into property sales. So I joined a firm in Bayside, Melbourne as a real estate agent, so as a, a listing agent or selling agent and, and it was great. It was It was Formative and it was tough as well, and I didn't have any any previous experience. But I was getting to deal with buyers every day and, and work with vendors and and see how um you know life in a real estate office really runs. And there were, there were good bits and bad bits, but it was all very very exciting. And um, it was at that point that I realised I could make a good buyers advocate because I had a couple of clients, I or a couple of buyers that I'd met in my travels who. Had a specific wish list, and you know, often buyers go through properties and the agent at the door asks them once they've inspected what they thought. And the more information you can give a keen agent, the better place you are to get off market sales or special treatment. And at that stage, it was a bit of a buyer's market, so I really did need to focus on the buyers. But I was able to door knock and, and character match buyers to houses, and I had a lot of success doing that as a young agent, so that really. Um, scared me on to, to get closer to working with buyers. I guess that was the start of it.
1: Wow, that is a big change because most people who usually start in real estate end up staying as a seller's agent.
0: It's a change of mindset, there's there's no doubt. I suppose the, the um, clincher for me was um, being a, a listing agent, you've got a product to sell and you've got to find your buyer but I much prefer working out the products that I'm going for based on numbers and I, I suppose that's the analytical side of me. It's hard to take the girl out of sight. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and I've really enjoyed profiling an investor and working out how much they've got to spend, what cash flows they need, what's a, a diverse product for them based on the current portfolio and where I need to go in the city to find that product and, and what sort of dwelling type is it. And so there's a lot of um, decisions that are made in that decision path. And, and that was what I really enjoyed doing. So. Selling property was never going to um, give me that that ability, I really needed to be buying property so for me it was all about being an asset selector and working with buyers and buyer nerves and all the things that buyers go through.
1: When taking the gamble and transitioning from a profession as a chemist to real estate, money was not on her mind. Bacos reveals that if anything, this move represented a step backwards financially and she would be facing a little while of limited income. No,
0: there was not, no financial motivation because I already had a, a good job. In fact, it was a huge risk for me losing a nice salaried role with a company car and going into a commission-only role with um, no guarantee. And I'd won a, a cash bursary at my, my employment um, that I was, I was in before I left. And that gave me the confidence to to put that cash bursary in my um, offset account and to be brave and go into real estate, knowing that I might have been living off that and exhausting it, and then coming—if you know, if things hadn't worked out for me, I would have had to return to corporate life and find myself another job. So it was a, a big risk, and it certainly wasn't it wasn't a financial motivator. And I didn't anticipate that I would earn more as a real estate agent than I had um, in my last role. But if you're good at something and you're passionate about it, and particularly if you can get your head around the lifestyle and the hours, you, you can do quite well but at that stage going into real estate for me represented a step backwards financially because not only was I facing you know, quite a, a little while of, of limited income, I was also changing from being um, employed in a, in a corporate situation where I, I was an employee and I had normal pay slips and I could get a loan at any stage And then I was opting for being self-employed and and as you know, most lenders require two full years of financials and they've got to stack up. So, I knew that it might have inhibited me for up to two years or even more to be able to go for a loan. So, it was a a big decision for me and it it was a little gap in my purchasing um, timeframe as well.
1: So, you purchased one property at 21. What happened from there?
0: I did. I made the the big mistake with that first one of cashing in and taking um, a profit and then reinvesting. And when I say it was a mistake, I could have held that property and taken the equity and continued to invest. But at that stage, I hadn't come across um, the broker that really did influence a change in my buying patterns. Mm. And I, I thought that the only way you could continue to buy property was save up deposit or sell out, take again and upgrade. So it was a, a massive mistake for me to make and had I spoken to the right people, I probably would have held that property. But as it turns out, I, I bought a little place in Mordial and the area did really well. Um, I took again and, and then purchased an old house in a good part of Seaford, so quite close to the beach on, a, on an enormous block. And again, in just one year, that property had more than doubled. So I took a gain and, and I leaped on three times until someone said, what are you doing? And it was then I realized I could get equity out of properties that had exhibited growth and I could continue to invest. And so um, it wasn't until 2004 that, that I started accumulating multiple properties and having a better strategy.
1: In order to achieve maximum results from a strategy, Bankos got hold of a lending calculator this allowed her to see how the lender buffered their capacity calculations and she seesawed between growth properties and yielding properties.
0: I knew that I had to accumulate properties and I had to um, target properties that would match my cash flow and not um, blow out my borrowing capacity to a point where I couldn't continue to invest. So I got a hold of her lending calculator so that I could, I could see how the lenders buffered um, their capacity calculations. And I was able to focus on buying a property and making sure there was enough borrowing capacity left for a subsequent property. So whenever I did the calculation, I made sure there was room for two. And if you continue to do that for long enough, you can target higher yielding properties and, um, and increase your, your capacity. So that was what I did. And I, I pretty much see between growth properties and yielding properties. And I know some people have a growth strategy and aren't fans of yielding but for me, it enabled me to, to build up my portfolio and to acquire properties that would ultimately be a lot easier to pay down and that would, would yield me a continued rental return into retirement.
1: Holding properties in multiple states, Bacos scoped out a property with loads of potential. However, this venture proved that even with plenty of due diligence, there can always be surprises in store.
0: It's interesting. I was pretty bold and, and courageous. I did buy something sight unseen down in Tassie, and it was a bit of an insane move because photographs never really tell the full story. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until after we settled it, we went down to see this cute little eighteen forty-one, um, you know, renovated um, pub come house, and the doorways came up to my nose. I'm nearly six foot, but. All that aside, they were you know <laughs> colonial era doorways, and my husband looked at me like I was an alien. So <laughs> I learned the hard way. But it's a cute little cottage, and we um, we've had consistently good tenants in it. But you know, would have I bought a cottage that had doorways up to my nose? Probably not.
1: We only find that out when we actually see things. So isn't it funny?
0: Yeah, that's right. I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons over the years, and when we went into South Australia, I actually wanted to put a bit of rigour behind understanding the area. So we, we planned to fly in and do a bit of a reconnaissance and talk to people and, um, and meet property managers and really canvass the area and understand which pockets were great and, and how to go about leasing them effectively. So that did pay off because we could wander around and you know live and breathe the town before we made decisions to buy. And I think that's really imperative. You either get someone who know the area intimately or you really make sure that you um, get a great feel and ask all of the right questions of the right people.
1: Bacos is open and honest about mistakes that she has made along her property journey believing that all property investors encountered these challenges. If they say they haven't, they're not being entirely honest.
0: I often you know, joke about some of the mistakes I've made but the important thing is, is knowing when to cut and run or or knowing when to ride the storm and I've I've done both. But one of my memorable ones is um, dating back to, I'm just thinking out loud, around 2006, 2005, I bought a block of units um, down in Morwell, so in the Ritrade Valley, and it was four little one-bedroom units all in one big block and they hadn't been subdivided. So in other words... It was one property title with four units and four tenancies, but but not four separate properties. So to go through that process of separately titling them, I would have needed to um, conduct a subdivision, which involves you know a bit of a spend and um, quite a few steps and a lot of council approval. Mm. So I probably misunderstood just how difficult that can be. Now, not not every block of units is is really challenging to start but You've got to be mindful that you know, any variation um, can create added cost. But not only that, I didn't understand the demographic down there and I should have looked into that. So I bought these four units for a bit of a bargain, thinking I could easily dolly them up and, and subdivide them. But the reality was um, that the rental price point of these units was in a very bottom quartile and probably even lower than that um, in terms of the the price that that they were going for as rental property. So it meant that we were taking on tenants that were were paying a a really low um, fee for their rental property. And with that, you you sometimes get some pretty dodgy tenants. (laughs) So we we had problems. We had tenants fighting with each other. We had
1: had
0: all kinds of risks. And we were getting police call-outs, and that's, that's never a joy. So in the end, this property that was full of potential was full of headache. And I had to make that decision that you know, it wasn't worth my marriage and it wasn't worth the, the 100 grand profit or the 200 grand profit that I could turn to try and ride it out. So I sold them as a parcel. I made $100,000 on the sale and let someone else take up that exciting opportunity because it was just outside of my, um, my headspace and, and my scope for, for the growth that it was creating.
1: Wow. I mean, that's still a $100,000 mistake that you gain from it.
0: Yeah, well we, we did do up two of them so if I back out our time and the materials, we probably made about 60000 but was $60,000 worth the grief that we went through? Mm. Probably not. I mean we had a young one and it, it was just a, a constant source of upset so you've got to put a dollar value on, on your sanity sometimes.
1: When managing the demands of her career and of her personal portfolio, Bacos believes that in order to succeed and to do so with your sanity intact, you have to trust your own judgement.
0: When you've got a limited amount of time to to make a decision, as long as you've had enough time to do the due diligence and use a, a really pragmatic check box approach, you sometimes have to tickle at those boxes and say to yourself, "I haven't got time to to assess how I feel in my heart about this. I've got to make a mental decision that is is a good sound decision on the balance of, of the due diligence I've done." So it takes me back to um, a property that I saw in Spotswood um, back in 2014, so not all that long ago, and I had the ability to make another purchase and I had been looking out for a a Footscray property that would meet meet the grade. And this one had very similar hallmarks, so it was a little single-front Victorian cottage and the opportunity to buy it well and buy it swiftly was right there in front of me But I literally had a half an hour time slot to make that decision. And I did the due diligence very quickly and um, knew my value. So really it was a case of looking at at the title and and just making sure that the contract review was okay. And I made a decision to make a swift offer and secured it. And in hindsight, it was a great buy. We, We purchased it for 540. I didn't even get to really discuss it with my husband, but we... We had the funds there, and we could, we could make that swift sort of decision. and the, the bank valuation has only recently come back at 730. So wow. in the face of doing nothing to that property in, um, in a two-year period, it's gone from 540 to 730, and, and that's according to the lender. So I've been really happy with that, and it's, um, it's a, a really good example of backing yourself and making a swift decision.
1: Baykos equates property to people. They're all unique. She's constantly challenged because of the diversity of the industry. Especially in Melbourne, and that makes for an interesting future.
0: What I get really excited about is um, that lack of black and white and the shades of grey, and you've got to make your own assessments. And it's it's always exciting in any market when you're assessing a property and and working out whether it it scores highly enough to to go for. So that that is what excites me in this role, and understanding what sort of metrics a, a particular property can deliver as well. So while there's a lot of science, there's also a lot of art.
1: In the property industry, being able to think quickly and make decisions is one of the most useful tools you can master. Bacos has been able to minimize the obstacles she has faced along her journey because of this. However, she has had other things to overcome.
0: If you come from a caring, supportive and protective family, that can sometimes work against you when you are looking to take an educated risk because if you're close to your parents or you value, um, their input, you can often be guided by their their ideals and they're not necessarily the right ideals despite the fact that they come from a place of love. They can be too overprotective and, and can have a financial impact on your success as an investor. So that, I think that's the fairest thing for me to say. I've got caring parents but they're the worst people to talk property with.
1: With somewhat of an absence of support for her property investing, Bacos has had to find inspiration elsewhere she finds that it was not so much that the people who have helped her but the resources.
0: I got involved early in, in um, buying the, the magazines and being a subscriber whether it's API or um, YIP or Smart Property. I, I immersed myself in those reads and looked at what other people were doing so that can, can stimulate your enthusiasm and give you a bit of confidence if you see other people doing it as well. And I also made sure I I stayed close to a great broker who I met in my early years and he was referred to me by someone at work who who was an investor and he was a great referral because it opened my eyes up to clever loan structuring and use of offset accounts and lines of credit and accessing your equity and really understanding the importance of of good loan structuring for tax deductibility as well. But having control of your money is vital and I think that was probably the most influential um, thing that I could have discovered, an influential person because it opened up the possibilities and as you can probably tell, I'm quite an analytical person so I know how to calculate my own risk and I know how to make a decision on the back of numbers but what I didn't really understand was how the banks view me and so that was a really good eye-opener because understanding how the banks assess you can can help you um, engineer your, your path forward and, and make sure that you've got a high chance of success when you do go for a loan.
1: Bankos understands the importance of surrounding herself with people who inspire her and has put into practice some of the lessons they have taught her.
0: I've had some really good encouragement from a, a friend of mine's dad who um, came out to Australia from Cyprus. And he managed to accumulate a property portfolio just through lots of hard work and just sheer determination. And he probably wouldn't have a clue that he was um, quite influential, but he gave me a lot of encouragement in the early days when I had worried parents telling me to stop and slow down. And he did explain, he just shared with me what his lifestyle is like now and how much freedom he's been able to get for himself and his family and it was really inspirational and it was really just that pat on the back and um and that word of advice that, you know, property is reasonably forgiving if you target broadly the right dwelling types in, in some good areas. You don't need to get a ten out of ten property. If you get a nine out of ten property and hold it for a long time it will do well. So he was he was really influential in giving me um, that confidence to keep doing what I was doing, and to you know ignore the white noise of of my parents being a little bit nervous.
1: Wow, I'll have to get that person's name because I would actually love that kind of encouragement.
0: Yeah, well, I think there are a lot of investors like that in every city, and in Melbourne, is certainly um, you know a place where you can see um, a wonderful migrant history of of. Um, Working hard and accumulating properties, and I get really excited about stories like that. But he's certainly in a position now where he's got freedom and choice.
1: With a seesawing approach to investing that allows her to sustain her property journey for the future, Baycos focuses on two things.
0: Firstly, what does the bank is prepared to loan me, and also what sort of surplus cash flow. Uncomfortable to a portion to holding a property because if you're going for a growth property in a capital city, you are most likely going to have negative cash flow, particularly if you're borrowing as much as you can for that investment. So understanding how much negative cash flow you can sustain comfortably and also what the bank is happy to loan you um, helps set set up a, a scenario where you you can understand um, how much the property will cost you and what sort of rent you need to get. And there are various levers that you can pull to adjust the rent that you can get, whether it be targeting a property on a smaller size piece of land or going for a townhouse that has lots of living area and a stronger rental potential in a, in a good area where you can reduce the purchase price by going for something on a smaller-sized piece of land. There's a few different ways that you can you can do that, and obviously every area has different property types, often different rentals. So you do need to know your areas, but when you know what sort of cash flow shortfall you can sustain, you can then engineer the type of property that you go for so that you're never in a position where the property is costing you more than you can afford or more than you want it to. And you've also got to factor in living enough room for the next one, and that's really important. So rather than just going for all of these cash flow properties in regional hotspots, it's not my plan by any means, I try and um, see-saw my approach so that I'm getting the best of both worlds. I'm building up um, my portfolio of properties that are a bit easier to pay down, and they're yielding a bit higher. And then I'm also going for properties that will exhibit really strong capital growth, but they're costing me a little bit to hold. And really putting a figure on what your overall out-of-pockets are across your entire portfolio is really important. And that will change as your life changes, your salary changes. But having a really good grasp of what the, the maximum is will stop you going into um, a property decision where you've been forced to sell it or, or something has to give. Because selling a property that you intended to keep... Is just a waste of stamp duty and it, it can be a bit of a financial nightmare.
1: At one point in Bakos's journey, when she was on maternity leave and was not earning enough money, she realised the importance of having some cash flow positive properties, or at least some that were cash flow neutral.
0: When you're first going into property investing, if, if you're doing that cold, you need to have, either have um, a savings pool or you need some equity, and that, that can be the hardest step getting started. And the more properties you accumulate, obviously, if they're growing, you've got more equity at your fingertips. So there's there's two things that you need to continue buying property. The first one is equity or savings. And the next one is servicing capacity. So if you can't afford the cash flow shortfall, you won't get that property. And when that is the case where you can't afford those shortfalls, it might be because you're on a reduced income or you've already maxed yourself out. It might be because you're in a position like I was. I was on maternity leave and not earning enough. You then need to think about whether your strategy goes on hold, or whether you target some properties that are actually putting money in your pocket. So, in other words, cash flow positive properties, or at least cash flow neutral. And when I was on Matt I was able to focus on some areas where the growth was was not dramatic, but the yield. Was, was better than 6%. So for me, I was able to focus on properties that could sustain themselves that I knew the banks would say yes to because I could demonstrate with rental appraisals that that these properties could service themselves. So that's the, the cash flow positive or the, the yielding model. And then once I was back into employment and, and able to service the loans, I could then go to the more aggressive properties that that did have out-of-pocket costs associated with them but would exhibit some decent growth. And obviously, the more growth you get, the more equity you've then got to to springboard back into more property. So, um, it's a case of seesawing a little bit but also making sure that you optimise one or both of, of those things, servicing and equity.
1: That's a really interesting concept that you've provided there in Australia which you've probably been the first to actually explain so well on this podcast.
0: I think if I was to describe my own investment strategy and I don't think there's any any one size fits all or any right answer, it's what suits you. Mine is buy and hold investment and I, I have a um, a cash flow angle to every decision I make and it's a balanced cash flow angle because if I just go and accumulate cash flow properties, um, I won't be getting that growth and if I just accumulate growth only, I might have to work for a very long time to pay them all down or I'll have to face the prospect of selling and making a profit and paying some debt down and that doesn't suit the strategy I've engineered for myself. I really wanted to buy and hold and be able to pay them down and retire that debt on retirement or beforehand.
1: So it's really a juggling out between the two to be able to fund those high growth properties with negative cash flow that you might have using the high yielding properties to really inject that back? Excellent.
0: Absolutely and you've got a balance risk as well so avoiding areas where um, values could come off in a hurry or where vacancies could strike, that's the art and if you can have a property that, that doesn't exhibit too much price fluctuation and is constantly tenanted and, and has a, a reasonable demand. Um, consistently then you're in a pretty good place and it just comes down to understanding the metrics.
1: Another balancing act that BACOS has mastered and that has affected the growth of a property portfolio is doing the right amount of due diligence whilst also knowing when it is right time to make a move.
0: I make a decision quickly because I process information quickly. I think asking the right people and sourcing the right answers as fast as you can, but making sure you're satisfied with the depth of research is really vital. And and I am a fast decision maker, I move fast, but that can make the difference between getting a great deal and missing out on it. And if you can overcome your fear and satisfy yourself that you've ticked all of the right boxes and just move forward, um, you know, the key is is taking action. I think that's what I've done really well.
1: I think a lot of people spend too much time just pondering and also analyzing. It could be very easy to procrastinate so that's a very good point that you've made.
0: Analysis paralysis is a term that's thrown around a lot in in our industry and, and it can it can be your worst enemy, that's not something that I'm guilty of, I certainly can make a, a quick decision and you've got to live with your decision too and if you do miss out any due diligence, it can bite you so it's vital that you've got a full check box. and I, I think that I've, I've got a, a really good system that I use whether it's for myself or for clients, you just have to make sure that you have satisfied every single combination and permutation you can think of.
1: Knowing how valuable other successful property investors insight was to Bacos through her career in property journey? Bacos aimed to do the same when in 2016, she published her book.
0: I really loved writing my book, it, it was all about real life adventures, a lot of which were mine and they weren't all necessarily you know, brilliant stories, I shared mistakes as well because if you can learn by someone else's mistake, you don't have to make it yourself to discover it um, and it, it was a, a bit of a, a labor of love. I put that book together over a couple of um, family holidays over January breaks. And and got that out a few months ago. So I, I do recommend that um, anyone reading it could could glean some information and and learn from it. But I also had books that um, that I loved reading in, in my earlier years, and they really helped me shape what sort of strategy I wanted for myself. And it's fair to say that that strategy has changed and evolved over the years too. But um, looking at Jan Summer's books in the early days was fabulous because she writes in a, in a really wonderful style and makes difficult concepts very, very easy to understand. Um, I thought Margaret Lonehouse had some really great angles and I certainly got an appreciation of uh, cash flow investing when I read Steve McKnight's books. So they were all um, just some of the reads that, that I was able to um, you know, glean some great ideas from and I highly recommend that... Any any keen investor, and um, have a look at all of those, and and certainly explore some other um, growth investor models as well. I've, I've read Michael Yardney's books. So I read Chris Gray's book. I thought it was great. So, um, understanding other people's strategies and why they've worked for them is quite imperative to um, to formulating what will work for you.
1: Thank you to Kate Bakos, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.